was like when Pastor, well, Pastor Reagan asked me if I would want to speak, and I was like, yes, <laughs> like I miss speaking. I love speaking. Some people who are like musicians, they think in music. I think in speeches. Like I give speeches to myself all the time, and I think in bullet points, and I write sermon series like in where they don't belong, and, and I just think like that. I'm like, yes, and then I'm leaving that, and I'm like, what am I going to teach about? <laughs> like, what are we, what are we talking about today? And sometimes God inspires me with a song. Sometimes it's a situation. Maybe it's something in my own daily Bible reading where I'm like, I'm like, oh, wow, let me, let me explore that more. Or maybe he shows me a pattern in scripture. And sometimes it's just a single word. Sometimes there's just a single word and I need to go and I need to dig into that and I need to understand what that is. And so today's message was birthed out of that. It was a word that God gave me and it's really for me. And so I hope you guys enjoy because you're going to get to go on what God has showed me in the last week or so. And, um, and hopefully it's something that applies to you too. And so, so I'm excited. And so that word that he showed me was the word blind. And I was like, well, that's ironic, right? Because God, it's 2020. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know, but we are having the year of vision. We are having this year. Remember in January? Who remembers January, right? Like, man, <laughs> January was so good. We were going to change the world. <laughs> we had plans and vision, and God had gave me a schedule for the children's ministry. I knew what we were going to teach from every Sunday till now to next year, and we knew exactly everything. We had every the Easter egg hunt planned out early. We had Kid Fest planned. I could tell you what we were supposed to be doing this weekend back in children's ministry. I knew what they were supposed to be doing at the bridge ministry this weekend. We had a plan. God had given us vision, and we, like, we knew that we were going to go, and it was going to be our best year ever, right? We were going to have the best decade ever. And then, then we were completely blindsided with everything that has been going on for the last few months in our world. And so I thought, man, okay, God, I don't know what the word blind means, but I'm sure you're about to show me, and he did. And so today, I'm going to have you guys um, stand. We're going to go ahead, and we're going to read this verse together. Then we're going to pray, and we're going to dive right into this message. Are you guys ready? <laughs> Woo! Okay. All right. You're going to have to get more awake than that. So <laughs> so here, what we're going to do is something we do in children's church so I can make sure that the kids are actually paying attention and keeping up, is everything that is a blue word, you're going to read out loud. But you can't read it like blind, because this is the word of God, and it is alive, and it is active, it is exciting. You guys are going to have to be excited today. Are you guys ready to be excited today? Okay. All right. Isaiah 42, 16 says, I will lead the... By ways they have not known, along unfamiliar paths, I will, I will turn the darkness into before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. Like this is a promise from God. He's saying, these are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Right? Like that is good. Like that's it. You can go home. So, so <laughs> go ahead and let's bow our heads. We're going to pray and then we're going to like understand what this means. So dear God, Lord, we thank you for today. God, I feel like this, this is going to be good. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. God, I thank you for each and every one of these people who are here. I thank you for the people who are watching. God, I just beg you to speak through me and to use me and to help me get out of your way this morning. God, Lord, let every one of us just have a heart that is prepared and ready and soft and, and willing to just be changed this morning. God, let us have a heart that is ready to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You guys are doing really good so far. So have a seat. Is anybody scared? They're like, it's July. It's summer vacation season. During a pandemic, they let the children's pastor preach. Like, is anybody like, man, well, that's where we're at in the world. So, okay. So, so when I look at blindness, one thing we have to understand Blue is laughing. It makes me happy. <laughs> so, um, 
And one thing we have to understand is that we have to understand some context around this. So it is my nature, it is my heart, it is everything in me to want to like teach you a Bible study this morning. It's not what we're going to do, but I'm going to definitely spend a little bit of time taking us to like the tension of our story, and then we're going to like jump off a cliff into the solution. So I promise if you hang in there, it is my goal that sometimes like we can read one thing and we don't quite connect with it and we're like, oh, that was really good. That was for like my husband or that was for like her. Oh, I'm so glad so-and-so was here because she needed to hear that. But I hope that this morning there's something that I'm going to say that like you're going to find yourself in that story and that you're going to be able to connect in part of that. And so we're going to go through a couple different examples of what it means to be blind. But one thing that we know, looking at blindness in the Old Testament, so the time in our Bible before Jesus came, right? we see blindness and it is not good. And so in the book of Exodus, where God is setting up his system of worship and sacrifice um, so that his people, Israel, can go ahead and make sacrifices and their, their sins can be forgiven, and he's preparing the way for Jesus to come, as he's setting up that system of worship in the tabernacle and eventually the temple, God has the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they are the priests, right? And so only a Levite can be a priest. But if a Levite, if one of those men, there were all these qualifications for you to be able to to go into the presence of God and make a sacrifice on behalf of his people. One of the things that would disqualify you is if you were blind. Like, if a man was blind, he could not be a priest. And so we're like, oh, well, that's it's a disqualification of some kind, right? And so when we get to the book of Leviticus, we go a little bit further into the Old Testament. And God, everybody's heard maybe of the story of Passover. If you haven't, like, go Google that. It is awesome. And so the story of Passover, when God is rescuing his people, he's rescuing his people out of... Um, out of slavery in Egypt, right? And he set up these holidays and for them to remember what he's done for them. They celebrate the festival of Passover. And we see this all through the Old Testament. We see Jesus doing it in the New Testament. But on Passover, then they would slaughter a lamb and they would take the blood of the lamb and they would paint it on their doorpost so the angel of death would pass over them and they would be saved, right? And we know in our like 2020 Christianity that that was a foreshadowing to the coming of Christ. But but one of the things in the book of Leviticus, it tells you some rules that that lamb, it had to be the best lamb. You couldn't just go slaughter any lamb like, Jesus, I'm going to keep these good ones. And um, you can have that one that's like got a short leg and is a little weird. Like that wasn't the way that we could make sacrifices. And one of the things that would disqualify a lamb and make it unpleasing to the Lord, it says in the book of Leviticus, is if that lamb was blind. And so that lamb would be blemished. So we know that blindness is a disqualification. It's a blemish. It's unpleasing to the Lord. Lord. And so, um, so we start to see something bigger about blindness. In the book of Job, it says Job, well, one, we have to know Job was amazing, right? Job had more awesome in his like pinky finger than we have like in all of us. And so um, Job, he took care of the blind and the lame. And so we see um, the blind and the lame are some of you need to be cared for. But when we get to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, we start to see the tone about blindness change. And so Isaiah is a prophet. He's a, he speaks for God, and he speaks of the coming of the Messiah. And the book of Isaiah is filled with stories talking about the eternal judgment of God. But it also has this thread and this theme through the book of Isaiah about salvation and that the coming of the Messiah is going to be 
heals the blind. And so that blindness is bad, but healing is coming. So blindness is bad, but healing is coming. And so when I just look at that, just very, very quickly, we see a real truth about blindness. That blindness in the Bible is not just about the physical. It's not just a physical condition of being blind, but blindness has a spiritual story. And that there is a spiritual story that's still applicable for you and I today. So even though there was like physical blindness and the healing that was offered really took a blind person and made them be able to see, the story that is the spiritual part of that is still 100% applicable if you are sitting here able-bodied in front of us today. And so it is physical, and the answer to both, physical and spiritual, is Jesus. Jesus heals all blindness. And so we need to know that going in, right? Amen. Like God had a plan for this. It isn't in response to what we're going through now. It's something that had been planned since the beginning of time. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different stories in the Bible this morning of um, of people who were blind and people who had been healed of their blindness. And my hope is that you're going to find something in one of those stories that you connect with. Because like I said, we're going to take a little bit of a long trip up the mountain to make sure that we all kind of connect in a place in the story. And then I'm going to explain to you why that matters. And then we're going to jump off into a solution. So are you guys ready? Are you ready? Okay, good. We are going to go through these kind of fast. So if you're somebody who likes to take notes, I've tried to keep the notes super brief for you. But also, um, if you're somebody who takes your notes home and you study, each one of these slides could be a great like devotion for you this week. Um, so I've tried to be intentional with that too. And so the first story we're going to look at is going to be in Mark chapter 10, um, verse 46. And we see a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus receiving his sight is the, uh, the title of that story. So blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. We enter the story here. Blind Bartimaeus, verse 46. Then he came to, or then they came to Jericho, they being Jesus and his disciples and a whole crowd of people. And as he was leaving Jericho, he, with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, he couldn't see Jesus because he was blind, but he could hear, and Jesus had a reputation at this point, right? Jesus had a crowd of people that were following him. There was no wonder who was coming. And so when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. And in some translations, it tells us that they were even embarrassed. Like that word, um, they were embarrassed by him because he was crying out. And, but it didn't stop Bartimaeus. He kept crying out. And son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And they called him. They, or they went to the blind man saying, take courage, stand up. He is calling you. And so Bartimaeus, he runs to Jesus enthusiastically. He throws his cloak aside. And then Jesus says something totally profound and totally Jesus-like. He's like, what can I do for you? <laughs> like, well, Jesus, I was hungry. I needed a hamburger. Like, no, like, Jesus, I am blind and I can't see. And he told Jesus, I want to be able to see. And Jesus immediately, because of his faith, healed him immediately. And so we can all kind of relate to this story if we've been saved, right? If we have ever had a moment where we go to Jesus and we're like, Jesus, without you, I'm broken and I'm blind and I am a sinner, right? And I'm lost. And immediately by faith, we are saved. And so something about his name. So his name, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus is a Hebrew word. And so bar means son of, son of Timaeus, right? And it tells us that in parentheses in our text. But when we look up the word Timaeus, Timaeus means something super interesting. It means defiled. It means infamous. It means polluted. 
It means unclean. And so, so we know that it's not just about Bartimaeus' eyesight. His situation was that he was unclean and he was polluted and that he was blemished, right? And that uh, that's where we are before we are saved. And so, and he wasn't just unclean himself. He was the son of unclean. And so I don't know about any of you, but some of us, we come from maybe families where we come from a history of unclean and we think like, man, that's just who I'm going to be. Like, I've been born into this, and this is just what we do. But let me tell you that God can stop, and he can take, and he can start something new in you. And he can set you aside for his glory, and that right now in your generation and your children's generation, cue Cody Carnes, right, like, and your children and their children, and that he could be doing something brand new in you because Bartimaeus was the son of unclean. Okay, so all of us should maybe hopefully resonate right there. So the next story that we're going to look at really, really fast, I told you these are going to be super quick, is John chapter 9. So John chapter 9, we open the chapter with a very famous story, like the kids love hearing this story, about the man born blind. And so there's something there that's, in, um, that's important. There are other times where Jesus has healed blind people, but they weren't born blind. This is a story where Jesus was, or this man was born blind. And so it's an important distinction that we're going to make in the story. And it says here in the beginning of chapter 9 in the book of John, it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked to him, because they think they're catching on. They're like, I see how this works now, right? They asked him, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And so certainly if your parents were sinners, certainly if you've sinned, we see other times where Jesus has healed people, like the man at the pool of Bethesda. He was lame and Jesus healed him and he told him, get up and walk and sin no more. His physical condition was a result of his sin, right? But Jesus said something really surprising back to them. He said, Jesus said it was neither. That this man sinned, nor his parents, or, ne- or that this man, or neither this man, sorry, neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so, this is important, but it was so, that the works of God might be displayed in him. That this man was born blind. He didn't ask to be blind. His parents didn't do anything that deserved him to be blind. But for this moment in time right now, said so God could be glorified through him. He had been walking through this situation his entire life. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to be blind. Even right now, having to wear a face mask places, I kind of freak out a little bit. We were just talking about this. If, like, my glasses fog up and I can't see, <laughs> I'm like, then I instantly feel like I can't breathe. And I'm like, i got to take something off, right? And I cannot imagine this might man has been blind since birth for no other reason than to glorify God right now in this moment. And so, so the way that Jesus heals him is a little bit unique. Most of the people that we see Jesus heal of their blindness, it's like, okay, you have faith. Go and see the things, right? And Jesus heals them immediately, but he does something different with this man. This is why the kids like this story. Because <laughs> he takes, he, he spits in the dirt and he makes mud. And then he takes his spit mud and he rubs it in the man's eyes. Obviously, this guy could not see what was happening because that would be nasty, Right? So he takes his spit mud and he wipes it in his eyes and then he sends him to the pool of Siloam and he tells the man to wash away the mud. And I think what is really cool about this is if I open my eyes and I'd never seen before, the first thing that I would see is you. But if I open my eyes in front of a pool of water and see my reflection, the first thing that I would see for the entirety of my life is my own reflection. And so, like, how cool is that? So maybe there's something in there that you find that you connect with, right? But 
remember that this man had been through this hardship, a horrible hardship, his entire life for no other reason than to glorify God in this moment. Okay. All right. Next story. Are you guys hanging in there? Is anybody like overwhelmed yet? All right. So now we are in the book of Acts. Another famous story, right? Another famous story. Acts chapter 9 again. And we are going to talk about Saul. Sometimes people think that Saul became Paul. Saul, Paul is the same person. One is his name in Hebrew. One is his name in Greek. And so depending on who he's talking to. But Saul was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish leader and he was a bad guy. And the Bible spends the chapters leading up to right here telling us, making sure that we know how bad Paul or Saul Saul was, right? He would execute Christians um, that he would go and he would like anybody who spoke about Christ that this was going to be the downfall of like the Jewishness, right? And so this was um, that they were uh, sinning against God by following Christ. That was what he believed. He believed he was right, right? He believed he was right. He felt that he was justified. He had helped be a part of Stephen being killed, right? Just a chapter or two before. And so we get this story where he is a bad, guy. We could not get a worse picture of Saul. So matter what you've done, you probably have not been as bad as Saul, okay? Like Saul is a bad dude. And it opens here that now Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples. Some translations say he was breathing murderous threats. I imagine Paul like a big fire-breathing dragon, right, of murderness for Christians. And he actually goes through the steps to get basically like the approval of the leader so that he can go there to the road of Damascus and he can wait for Christians, men or women or children or whoever who comes by, and that he can, he can take them into captivity and imprison them just for being Christ followers. So he thinks he is right. He has the support of the law. What he is doing, he thinks he is correct. And something happens, right? And so as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. We just sang about the glory of God, right? And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He knows. He's a leader He's a Jewish leader. He knows. He knows the word. He knows that this is the glory of God. And he said, who are, or he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. And then when we go on to read that um, Saul's healing didn't come immediately, right? He had to go home and sit blind for three days, and he didn't eat or drink anything. I bet he was terrified. Here's a man who wasn't born blind. He was out doing what he thought was the right thing, and he was like terrorizing Christians. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in that instant, that one moment with Jesus absolutely wrecked him, right? He goes home and he's blind for three days. And then meanwhile, in this other place, that a man named Ananias, who's a disciple of Christ, God comes to him in a vision. How ironic, right? God comes to him in a vision and says, hey, Ananias, I got something for you to go do. You're going to go and you're going to pray for Saul. And Ananias is terrified because Saul is big and scary and kills Christians. And so so God confirms with Ananias that he is supposed to go and he is supposed to, he is supposed to pray for Saul. And he says here, he says here, oh, where is my verse? Oh, forgive me. Okay, let me read my notes. It what he his or 
his wasn't immediate, right? It required Ananias to come pray for him. God had chosen Saul. What he, God tells Ananias here is that he is my chosen instrument. I have chose Saul despite of who he has been in the past, despite of who he has been or where he came from or the things that he's done to my people. He is my chosen instrument to go and to share the word with the Gentiles. And so, so despite where we have been in the past or the things that we've done or how disobedient we could be, like no matter what we have done in the past, God can use us and we can be his chosen instrument, right? And so hopefully somewhere in there, there's one of these stories that we can be a uh, that we can relate to. And sometimes there's these times, I think it's interesting that, that God comes and he stops Saul dead in his tracks. And have you ever been doing something you thought you were doing the right thing and God just absolutely blindsided you with something? He just absolutely let something fall apart around you, not to destroy you, but because he has chose you to do something better. He has a different plan for you, and I know I've been there. I know I have been there where I'm like, here, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing what I think is right. I'm following what I think is the right way to do, and I'm just trying to get by. And God has absolutely stopped me dead in my tracks because what thing that he had planned for me was different. And so I can relate to Saul in that place. And so there's one thing, though, in all of these stories, whether somebody has come along and tried to be that discourager like they were to Bartimaeus, or um, if they have, maybe you have lived what you thought was a good life and still things have come against you, like the man born blind, or whether by your own doing, you have absolutely willfully walked outside of what God has wants for your life, and he has had to stop you and turn you around. No matter how we get to this place where we're at now, there's a single thread of truth, I think, that like flows through all of those, and it's this. It is that God's plans for your future are more important than your past, right? God cares more about your future than your past. God's plans for your future, if you know nothing else today, his plans for your tomorrow matter more than how you got here today, right? And so, so there's things that we get here with though, right? And we're like, but Rachel, I have a testimony and that really matters. It does matter because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelations, it tells us that we overcome evil with the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony. Our testimony matters, right? Our testimony, Chris Tomlin also told us that. And so that we can get here, like our testimony absolutely matters. But let me tell you, it does not matter <laughs> God's plans for the future matter more than your past. And so, so I told you there was a time where my husband had been deployed over and over and over again, right? That um, that had become our normal. It just like, you know, to get by, I just had to kind of normalize it. It's kind of normal that daddy's not here for Christmas, that he's not here for a birthday. And, um, and my preference would have definitely been that my husband could be home, but we just had to be okay. We had to be okay. I had four little kids. We could not fall apart. And I had the support now of amazing family at church and I had great neighbors and friends, but like, I mean, it wasn't the same as having my husband home. But one thing I did do during that time is life could be a little bit different when daddy wasn't home. So when daddy's home, we have to like have dinner. <laughs> and then when my kids were there though, they could eat spaghetti every night and they didn't care. Like it was like, things could just be a little bit simpler. We lived on chicken nuggets and it was fine. It was totally, totally fine. And I would also take advantage of those moments to go ahead and do something for me. And so a lot of times I would try to learn a new hobby or I would maybe redecorate a room. It always kind of stresses him out a little bit when I just start moving the furniture around. But I could do that when he wasn't home. It was totally okay. Linda Hand knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> so like, I could do it. I'm like, we're just going to move this person's bedroom over here and 
maybe move it back. Like it wasn't anybody there to tell me not to. And so I would, I would take advantage of that time to do those projects. And so before his last deployment to Afghanistan, Pinterest, it came out, right? And that just helped. I am like creative and have ADHD and it does not, that's not good. <laughs> and so, so Pinterest comes out and I was convinced I needed a farmhouse table because farmhouse tables were all I saw on Pinterest, right? That was everywhere on Pinterest. And my husband, because he loves me, was going to build me a farmhouse table. He didn't know it yet. And so I was going to get a farmhouse table because we have a kind of big family. There's six of us. And anytime like somebody would come over for dinner, the kids would have to go to another room. And I was just like, had these visions of us eating, you know, with our grandparents around the table and inviting neighbors and we could all sit and be jolly. And it was going to be so good. And my kids would eat their vegetables and there was just no arguing at the farmhouse table. Right. And I was going to get this awesome table. And then my husband had to leave. And I'm like, well, I'm never going to get this table. So he did something. He had my father-in-law get me a table saw for Christmas while he was gone. And then I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Like now I have to build a farmhouse table and turns out I didn't even really need a table. So I need a hundred other tools. So I probably would have been absolutely cheaper to just go buy a farmhouse table. But um, so now with an air compressor and nail guns and miter saws and all these things later, now I am equipped to build a farmhouse table, but I have no idea what I'm doing because I don't do that. And so, so I get and I take and I read the book. If you ever get a new tool and you're a little bit scared of how to use it, don't read the book. Don't, the book has red warning signs on the front of it. Don't read the book because the book will tell you how you can cut off all your fingers and the book will tell you how you can lose your eyes and maim your children forever. Like don't read the book. The book was a mistake that set me back like three months at least. And so, so I read the book and then I had to go to YouTube and watch like a hundred hours of videos to undo what the book had told me. Right. And so, so I had to go and I had to undo all of that. And so, but eventually my neighbor who was also husbandless at the moment, like her and I would be out there and we started building furniture. And so we built the farmhouse table and we built some shelves. And then we started building American Girl doll furniture. We're taking orders for our friends and we're building them farmhouse tables. We had turned into carpenters by the time our husbands got home. And so I was like, I really love building things. I love it. I love the creative part of me loves to take this pile of lumber and to create something new. And I'm not scared of the saw anymore. It's really good. And so then we go through this season. We end up moving here to Fort Gordon and um, where my husband finishes out his military career. And thank goodness, thank goodness, it was absolutely a blessing. We finally moved to a unit where he's not going to deploy. And so, um, because we had just been through it for like the last 10, 11, 12 years. And so um, we come to this unit where he's not going to deploy. But when you go from this cycle of daddy's home and daddy's gone and daddy's home and daddy's gone, and then daddy's only home, it's a little bit hard. (laughs) It's a little bit stressful. There is some adjustment to that. Like, I like the idea of this new normal, but this is not our normal. Like, daddy is supposed to give me time to, like, rearrange all the house, and when am I supposed to do those things now? And so we had to adjust to that new normal, right? And so now, fast forward, now my husband is retired, and I cannot imagine going back to that place where he wouldn't be home for Christmas or that we would have to spend birthdays or anniversaries apart. And I'm so grateful for the time that we've been there, but I'm super Super excited to be on the other side of that now, right? But the thing is, is that I still have tools and things that I've learned in that season that I can use right now. And so we just bought a house. And so um, we've owned a home before, but through moving and all that retiring, we had not bought a house here in Augusta. And we looked at exactly one house because it was in the middle of global pandemic corona season. And so we looked at one house and we walk in, it was horrible. 
It was absolutely horrible. It smelled a little weird and everything was ugly and needed new paint. And we're like, this is the house for us. Like, we'll take this one. <laughs> it, was, it was way below budget. We could have afforded more, but we're like, I like the ugly one. And I don't know if my husband knew how equipped we were that we were about to do a home renovation, but we were about to renovate this house. And so, um, so God has been taking us on this journey and blessed us with a home in a neighborhood. We bought a neighborhood in a pool. That's really what we bought. And so he has blessed us with this home. But when I saw the kitchen and I saw this massive expanse of a wall next to the pantry door. All I thought was barn door because barn door is a new farmhouse table, right? And so I was like, I'm going to need a barn door. But now it absolutely wasn't a big deal to go to Home Depot and get the pile of lumber and sit in my driveway and nail it all together and stain it and paint it. It looks beautiful. And I didn't even wait for him to get home. The girls and I hung it up. And so like, I had these skills that I learned in this last season, even though I don't want to go there, that I can easily use right now, right now. And so there are things that we are learning in this season, even though we don't like where we are. I don't think anybody woke up today and you're like, I'm really glad that I might have to wear a mask, you know? Or I'm really glad that a third of the people are going to be at church. That's going to be really encouraging to me. Nobody woke up today just super happy that there's a global pandemic and all kinds of other chaos and pandemonium going on around us. But we're sitting here and we're waiting for things to go back to normal. And as a leader and as a communicator, as a teacher, the thing that I realize is like, my faith has not wavered in this time. I know God is good. I know that he is faithful. I know we're going to get on the other side of this. And the very worst thing that happens is I end up in heaven, and I'm not sad about that either, right? And so, like, that's good, right? Those things are good. But am I being productive and am I being effective right now? I don't know. I don't know that I can say yes to all of that. I don't know that I'm being as productive as I can be. And I don't know that I'm being effective. I know I would feel better right now if I could be more effective. God, I don't know. I've never been here before. I've never been in this season. So show me how to be the most effective and the most productive I can be. And so I think that this season is like when we look back at that past where we just came from, we're eager to get back to that. But I think it's going to be like those deployments where we're going to get here and there's going to be tools and things. There's going to be gifts gifts and talents in your testimony that you bring forward to this season, but it's not meant to keep us here. Because when we get on the other side of this, I think we're going to look back and be like, I don't even want to go back there. I'm grateful for everything I learned back there. I'm grateful for what I have grown during this season, but we're not going back to that. And I think as a church, as soon as we realize that, you know, I can be an effective and productive Christian for the kingdom of God right now in this, then it kind of starts to shift our mindset. Because you're like, I'm not struggling with my faith. Like, now what? And so this is today, we have to realize like there's some blindness in all of us. And so, but what I want to do is like point out maybe you're like, okay, well, why does it matter? Because we've been on a little bit of a break and some of that's good. Some of us weren't going to be effective to do anything anyway because we were so overscheduled. We were so overburdened. We had so many things on our plate that one more thing wasn't going to fit no matter how hard we juggled and block scheduled and tried to make it happen, right? And so God has slowed us down, but now what? And so I have some statistics we're going to run through really quick because I think I want to show you like, why does it matter that we can see during this season, right? Because we don't want to be blind. Blindness is bad. It's a disqualifier, and it's not God's best for us. So let's look at this. So the very first statistic here, Barna. Barna is this group, this organization. They do all these church statistics and analytics, and they analyze all us church people. It's their official title, right? And Barna reports that one-third of Christians, these are the Christians who go to church. These aren't the, like, Easter Christmas Christians. These are the ones who used to go to church, like, once, twice a month at least, right? Barna reports that one-third of Christians who claim they go to church, have stopped attending church altogether in this season. 
They're not going online. They're not watching somebody else's church online. They have just stopped going to church in the season. Some of them will come back. But in this season right now, a third of our church just stopped going to church. That's crazy. So if you have somebody sitting on the right or the left of you, and like everybody to the left of somebody went away, that's a third of us. A third of Christians just stopped going to church. And just for fun, just for fun, I was like, how many people run the Boston Marathon? So out of the people who run the Boston Marathon, out of the ones who started last year that were at the start line, 93% of them finished the race. 93, it only had a 7% attrition rate. I used to be a runner back in my younger, fitter days. I used to run for fun. <laughs> like, that makes no sense. And I've never run a marathon, but I've run a half marathon. I can tell you that coming to church is way more fun than running. Like, way, way better, easier. There's usually snacks here, too. I mean, like, there is it's no doubt between running a marathon and going to church, church is the easier option. A third of the church just quit. That's crazy. Okay, next statistic. American Academy of Pediatric warns us that schools need to open in the fall because the emotional impact on children could be putting them at more risk than the virus. You guys are amazing parents. Your kids are amazing. And you come to church and your children know about Jesus and you lived in Christ-centered homes. But there is a group and a population of children in our country that are at higher risk because of abuse and neglect and hunger and poverty and loneliness. And they are at more risk in the safety of their homes than they are going to school during a global pandemic. There are people that are struggling around us. Next statistic. The American Journal of Managed Care reports that the overall suicide rate, about 42% lower in black people, than, or that black youth than white youth. So overall, if you look at youth that commit suicide, generally black youth commit suicide at a lower rate than white youth. So whatever that statistic does for you, whatever you want to say about that, then that's fine. But however... Among children ages 5 to 12, that's where that stopped me dead in my tracks because I'm like, the fact that we have a statistic that measures the suicide rate in children ages 5 to 12 is heartbreaking. Black children have significantly higher incidence of suicide than white children. And I don't want you to just look at this and speculate and form an idea about racism in your head. See that there is a statistic about children who commit suicide. And I would glance over this, except the house that we just moved out of, when we moved into that house, the neighbors that we had, she had a 12-year-old son who was black and committed suicide. And I just think, like, that's right next door to me. That's in Grovetown. You know, like, that's not far away. That's not in some inner city. That's our people. And so, wow. Like, wow. <laughs> another statistic. Another statistic. Barna survey of young adults, 18 to 35. So this isn't picking on millennials or Gen Zers. This isn't any of that. When I see this statistic, I see these are parents. These are people, a lot of your guys' age. These are the up-and-coming leaders of our teams and our churches. These are the teachers and the leaders of connect groups. These are the kids, that the parents, the adults that are um, teaching your children at school. These are young adults in our world today, 18 to 35-year-olds, found that one in four want to find out who they really are in this coming decade affirming the reality when they put it together with all of the other research that they did, they found that despite being the most globally connected than we've ever been before, that there is a large group of people who are just absolutely missing their identity and their purpose in our world. And so, you guys, that comes from the Bible. I don't even know where else you would go to find that. And so there's people are hungry. We think, well, I don't want to bother anybody. 
one in four of them are super hungry for this. And so, so then when we add on, we live in a military community, we add on all of the woes that come with uh, joblessness and all these challenges that come with pandemics and unemployment and that right now, there are people around you that need us to be a church that has our eyes open. And so we can't be walking around and we can't be walking around spiritually blind. This isn't to condemn you, but hopefully, you know, like, I believe that you're here because you have faith, but now how do we make sure that our faith is effective and it is productive? And so this is where we've climbed the mountain and we're going to jump off into the solution because it tells us in 2 Peter, God gives us an answer. He actually gives us some promises and we know that God's promises are true and they're everlasting and they're perfect and they're good and he can't even break them if he tried because he's God. And so it's going to give us a solution to what? like this is. And so God has given us promises to help us escape the evil that the world offers. And so when I look to the world, the best that we're going to get is some answers that are going to point us down the wrong way on that road where God's going to have to stop us in our tracks and get us back. And so 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, you guys are going to read the blue words. Everybody wake back up. You're like, yes. Okay. Are you guys excited? Because we're going to figure out how to get over this. We're going to figure out how to get the scales off of our eyes and what to do next to be effective and productive for his kingdom. And so for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith and to goodness and to knowledge and to self-control and to perseverance and to godliness and to mutual affection, love. So let's unpack that just a little bit. So he's saying to add to your faith. None of this is about salvation. Like the only way that you can come into salvation and to be forgiven of your sins and to be cleansed is through faith in Jesus. The Bible is actually really clear to tell us that there's absolutely nothing we can do to earn it, right? So faith is the bottom line, but you guys are the ones here. So I'm assuming that a lot of you might already be in a personal relationship with Jesus, and we're in this place like myself that I'm just like, okay, but God, like, help me be more effective and productive, right? And so he gives us some steps the way that we should grow. Are we being good? Are we, are we possessing? goodness? Are we displaying goodness for the world around us? Are you doing things that you would do if your grandmother or Jesus was sitting right next to you? Are you, I don't know. It depends on who your grandmother was, if that works or not. <laughs> Our kid's grandma, I don't know. No, I mean, so to goodness, knowledge, and where do we get knowledge, church? Oh my gosh, y'all. Okay, this is where children's church just got better. Okay, where do we get knowledge, church? The Word, right? The Bible gives us knowledge. The kids would have piped right up with that answer. Okay. All right. And to knowledge, self-control. So self-control, that can mean like what we're posting, what we're doing, how we're treating people, how we're treating ourselves. Are we taking care of ourselves? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, so are we taking care of this temple? Like, I don't know. It takes some self-control. And so to self-control, perseverance. We think, oh, perseverance, that's not hard. A third of the church quit. You know, I mean, like, perseverance absolutely matters. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. Are we being a good friend and are we sharing the love of Christ with those around us? And so, so there's some easy practical steps. So it's like a continuum. It grows. And so you can kind of point out where you're like, oh, man, I used to be kind of good. I kind of go, but maybe I need to stop back at self-control for a hot second. <laughs> like, you know, maybe I need to go back there today. Maybe it's a daily thing that we need to stop and we need to do a heart check to see where we're at if we're going to continue to grow and to be a effective, right? Okay, so that is good. That is good. Let's go on. So it goes on to say, goes on to say, for if you possess, so for if you, that's like promise words. We're about to get a promise from God. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being 
what we want, right? Yes. Thank you, Jesus, because I'm like trying to avoid that so bad right now. Like, if we possess those qualities in increasing measure, they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is... It goes together. We're one or the other. We're being effective for the kingdom, and we're being productive, and we're moving forward, and you can only do what you do, right? Or we're growing scales on our eyes, and we're becoming nearsighted, which leads to blindness. And so we are someplace on that spectrum, and Jesus is always, always, always the answer, forgetting that they have been called and cleansed from their sins, their past sins. So you need to remember the place that you've been. We need to remember the things, the tools that God's put in your toolbox, which are your gifts, your talents, your testimony, right? And you can take that, and even right now in this season, if our eyes are wide open to see the world around us, there's plenty of things that need to be done for the kingdom. And so in that same survey, in the same statistics, in the same research that Barna did, they didn't find that people were, like, sad that their Easter egg hunt got canceled. They didn't find that, like, man, well, there's no vacation Bible school, and I'm just quitting church. That wasn't that what they found. They found the thing that people were craving most from church was emotional support and prayer. And so emotional support and prayer. So what we, a lot of us can do right now, the best we can do is the best that people need. Isn't God good? Like, even though the best we can offer is emotional support and prayer right now in some situations, that he's gifted you with a testimony, and he's given you the tools in your toolbox. If you let him, and your eyes are wide open, to be effective and productive for the kingdom of God right now. Like, how good is that? How good is that? And like, what if we did that? What if? Is anybody like sitting here and you're like, man, I might have some scales on my eyes. <laughs> or maybe I need to go back and maybe there's some work I need to do. Then I'm just going to ask you guys to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray. Because the only way to get those scales off our eyes is prayer. And so, so God, we're going to pray and we're going to allow God to uh, open our eyes really, really, really big. And so I'm going to ask you to get maybe even a little bit more uncomfortable. Everybody's kind of comfortable standing. If you're comfortable raising your hand, if you're comfortable kneeling, like, kind of just do something. Change your posture because, like, out of obedience and submission to the Lord, when we change our posture, it just shows him, like, God, I'm willing to surrender to you. And so right now, like, just change your posture. If it's bowing your head, whatever that is, it's like just give your heart right now to God and let him make you effective and productive. God, we love you. We so, so, so love you. And this season is confusing and it can be scary and it can be big and it was unseen and it was unplanned to us. But you are not surprised. And God, in the last season that we just came from, you have been preparing us to be your church right now during this. And so, God, we apologize for being still and being in a place where maybe we've started to let scales grow in our eyes. But today, Jesus, we're asking you to help us examine our heart and let those scales fall. Let us have eyes not just to see, but eyes that are wide open to see the hurt and the need of the people around us. God, the last thing we want to be is ineffective or unproductive. God, let us, let us just do your work in a mighty way. God, we look forward to what we're coming to on the other side of this. And then we're going to look back and we're going to be able to say, my God is so good. My God is so good. In Jesus' name we pray.